blessed Easter day. I hope you noticed as you came in that we have a new hospitality and visitors table. If you missed it on the way in, please stop by. There are April calendars, there's children's information and all sorts of information for you there. So that we may have a record of your attendance, please fill out the attendance registration sheets, pass them up and down the aisle you're seated on, and include your address and email if you'd like to receive our e-news each Thursday. Just a reminder that our joy lunch will be Tuesday, April 13th. There's information about it in the worship bulletin. And look at the beautiful plants we have today. And they will all be for sale immediately following the worship service. The proceeds will go to benefit the church. Please see Greg Gibson, Phyllis McElwain, or Jerry Wagner if you would like to buy the green ferns, the palms, or the potted flowers. We're grateful you've come for worship to worship the risen Christ on this glorious Easter morning. Please stand now and spend some time greeting each other. <laughs> Would you please be seated? <laughs> it's great to visit, isn't it? Please be seated for our organ call to worship.
Would you stand and sing hymn number 159, please? a rug you can sit on if you'd like to sit on the rug instead of that cold hard floor and if you're wearing a new outfit your mama's probably would appreciate it 
Hello. How are y'all? What's today? Easter. What does it mean that it's Easter? Jesus came back from the dead. Jesus was resurrected today. Now here's what I want to know. Here is what I want to know. Who was here for the Easter egg hunt yesterday? You all were here for the Easter egg hunt yesterday? What, what all did you do? What did you do yesterday? Um, we went outside and go play. You went outside to play. <laughs> Okay. Mr. Jack, what did you do? Okay, but you weren't here for yesterday's Easter egg hunt. Who was here for yesterday's Easter egg hunt? What'd you do? Did you hunt for Easter eggs? Okay, we hunted for Easter eggs at the Easter egg hunt. That was good. And then you watched a movie about what? about, it was called the three trees, is that right? Yes. Did you learn anything from this movie, from the movie? Maybe. Did you have a good time? I am so glad. Did you have a good time yesterday? Yeah? You had fun yesterday? Hunting Easter eggs and getting candy and watching movies and all of that? Now, those of you who were not here for our Easter egg hunt yesterday, um, here's, here's what I want to know. Do you think they really were here? You think they were really here? So you think they're telling the truth? Okay. I was. Yeah, you were telling the truth? I'm so glad you could tell the truth. Why do you think they were telling you the truth? Hmm? Because we love each other. I just love that answer. Why do you think that they were telling you the truth? Yes, sir. Because they didn't want to tell you a fib. They could be trusted to tell you the truth because they were there. They knew what happened. They, what? They, could t they were there. So they could tell you what happened for those of us who were not there. And we could believe them that they could tell us the truth. Because they were there. I'm so glad. That's why when we read in the Bible, and Dr. Hobbs is going to talk to us this morning about the folks who were there for Jesus' resurrection. They were there to tell us the story. Did you? So those who were there, like those who were there yesterday at the Easter egg hunt, could tell you what happened, and you believed them to tell you the truth? That, yes, you were there. For those who were at the resurrection of Jesus can tell us the truth, and we can believe them because they were there. We can believe them to tell us the truth because they were there. So we're going to believe them. That Jesus really was resurrected on Easter Sunday morning because God loved us so much. Because they told us the truth. 
And so now we're going to pray. Are we, are we ready to pray now? Okay, we're going to pray together. Gracious God, it is amazing that you love us so much that you would offer us your only begotten son, that you gave him for us, that he died, that he was buried, but this morning we celebrate the fact that he was resurrected and we can believe it because those who were there tell us so. Thank you for loving us that much. Amen. And yes, I have candy. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. It is a glorious day, a wonderful day, a day of celebration as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to uh, read you the story of Easter today, and in honor of this great, great story, if you are able, please stand with me. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they, said, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of God for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, open our eyes to see. You have opened for us the gate to eternal life through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we pray that you would open our minds so that we might understand the significance of Christ's life, so that even in suffering we may know joy. 
like the disciples who walked sadly to Emmaus. We pray that you would cheer and warm our hearts by the presence and power of Christ. Sustain us in our faith that as he lives, so shall we live both now and forever. Amen.
you been blessed today? Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. That was beautiful. Our Father, we're thankful for be, being able to be here today. We're thankful for this place, for these people, and for the opportunity of, of living out the resurrection. Uh, help us to be uh, the body of Christ as we serve in this community. We're grateful for the opportunity to serve not only with our, our talents and our time, but also with our resources, our finances. And it is for that reason that we are gathered at the altar today to be able to give back a portion of what you have given us. We ask your blessings on this service and forgive us our sins. Amen. to uh, tell you this morning what Easter means to me. 
So I have several things that it means to me. One of the first memories is uh, our son was born on a Saturday before Easter. It was a beautiful, sunshiny day, and David came into the world as an Easter present. Easter's new dresses and shiny shoes and ties, sleeping on curlers and a new haircut with pictures beside a blooming dogwood and tulips. And the beauty of the spring gives us this renewal. It is not mowing your lawn to have an Easter egg hunt so that tiny fingers can search for those eggs that are full of sugar and surprises. And what the little fingers don't find, the lawnmower finds later. <laughs> but as we heard Thursday night, I have a story I want to tell you. It was a late afternoon in 2006. She had had another rough day. After going into a coma caused by encephalitis in February of 2006, Rachel lays in ICU at the University of Kentucky Hospital. She's experienced brain storms. She has uncontrollable movements, a trach to keep her breathing, a pick line for her medicines, a feeding tube for nourishment. She lays on a cooling blanket to help control her temperature and a mattress of circulating air. She's had a brain biopsy and still no result. And then he enters the room. It's a white coat. It's the ones that wear the white coats that come in with the news. Usually something I don't understand. He says that her brain activity waves are very low. And he does not expect to see an improvement. He says that you and your husband will need to start discussing to decide what to do. And he leaves the room. Wait a minute. What did he just say? Did I hear it right? Can this not be fixed? As it is still swirling in my mind, I walk to the garage, the parking garage. I think I'm alone. I don't know where I parked the car, but there it is. I leave the parking garage I'm there by Commonwealth Stadium in Lexington. The sky is dark, and I can't go any farther. I pull off to the side of the road, and I sob, and I cry out, God, no, no, why? I can't make this decision. And I sob until there are no more tears. But for some reason, I head on to Alumni Drive onto Man of War, to my son's house where we are staying. And there they are, my children, Sarah and David, and David's wife, Sarah, and Mark. And I tell them that we have been told by those of medical intelligence that a decision has to be made. And it's a decision that no parent ever wants to make. But she's our gift. And if this is what it is to be, then this is what it is to be. But I'm here to tell you today that because of the miracle of Easter, I too and you have experienced a miracle. A miracle firsthand I witnessed and it makes us excited and out of breath. Easter offers us the hope to overcome my fears, my sadness and my loneliness. Because of the miracle of Easter, I can emerge from an incredibly dark days to a life to realize 
to really realize what Easter is. And when we experience this miracle, each one of us of this Easter, we learn to breathe again. We learn to talk and sing again. We learn to walk and dance and run again. We live with hope of Easter and it shows. Just look at the twinkle in her eye.
Like most kids, I learned about Easter at Sunday school. Although it was never very tangible to me, I guess I kind of put it in the same category as my grandfather's old war stories. I knew they happened, but their existence to me personally lived only on paper or old movies. It never seemed quite real. As I got to my teens, I considered myself a Christian. And every year when Easter rolled around, we'd gather the family together and go see the church's Easter production. But that's as deep as it ever got. Getting older, there comes a point when life just hits the on switch. I remember this happening pretty quickly right out of college. And getting married young was a hard thing to do. Of course, I, I love my wife, but there were some struggles. You know, struggles grew into frustrations. Eventually, those frustrations grew into disappointments. It was tough. And having an unplanned child didn't make it easy. I started to experience anxieties that I never knew existed. Add in the mortgage, taxes, two car payments. I just didn't have time to feel insecure anymore. The weight of life has been unbearable at times. The pull from temptations just gets stronger and stronger. I might look composed, but the truth is, I'm afraid. I'm alone. I feel as though I'm the only one out there with these kind of issues. I mean, most Christians I know, they seem to have it all together. Why can't I? But here's the amazing thing about Easter. Christ's crucifixion and resurrection is everything I need. The absolute beauty in it is its simplicity. His acts weren't a spectacle. They were a sacrifice. A sacrifice for me. Easter is not just a holiday. It's a celebration of the life-changing power that exists because of God and His love for us. Purpose, freedom, peace, joy, hope. All these things Jesus intended for me when He made that sacrifice on the cross. All my failures, my anxieties, my sins and insecurities, they're all laid to rest. Christ's actions not only saved me, they completed me. He died for me. And he rose for me. Pastor Billy Strayhorn tells a wonderful story about a pastor who was asked to conduct a graveside service for a member of his church. But the problem was that the, <clears throat> the cemetery was more than an hour and a half away, and the pastor wasn't feeling very well, so he decided to ride with the funeral director in the hearse. Well, by the time they arrived at the cemetery, the pastor was really sick with flu-like symptoms, and he made it through the service okay, but he was deathly pale and obviously not well. 
So as they headed back home, the funeral director suggested that the pastor stretch out in the back since it was now empty. And it had curtains so nobody could see him. And so the pastor decided to do just that. And he promptly fell asleep. Well, he woke up when the hearse came to a stop. And taking a few minutes to get fully awake, he slowly sat up and he pulled the curtain aside to see where he was. And suddenly he was face to face with a gas station attendant who was pumping the gas. <laughs> Needless to say, the attendant was shocked to see a body in the back of a hearse rise up and stare back at him through the window. So with all of the color drained from his face and his eyes as, as large as saucers, the attendant ran on shaky legs back into the gas station while the funeral director was chasing him, trying to catch him and to explain what had really happened. I'm pretty sure, says Pastor Strayhorn, that this is precisely how the women who came to the empty tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning felt. They, too, had to have run on shaky legs back to the disciples with their, their hearts pounding, and both in, in shock and in excitement. You know what happened on that first Easter morning is an amazing story. A man had actually risen from the grave. Presidential candidate Mike Huckabee was once asked if he believed in the resurrection, and he said, of course I do. Dead people in Arkansas vote in every election. <laughs> well, Huckabee was being humorous, of course, but uh, there was one woman who took this question more seriously. She was sitting in church during the Advent season in uh, the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and in the course of the sermon, the priest asked the question, what do you really want for Christmas this year. And this woman says that she nearly rose from her pew to answer the priest by saying, what I really want for Christmas this year is to believe in the resurrection. And you know, I can't help but to believe that many of us are probably in that same boat. I mean, how else can you explain our anemic faith if we really believed, really and truly believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we really believed that when we leave this world, we too shall be resurrected and, and, and stand before God clothed in a new body, if we really believe that Christ lives and that He is in the world today, would we not live more confident, more courageous, and more committed lives? My friends, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's the good news for you and me today. And I know that that's too much for some of us to accept. It is now. And it was 2,000 years ago when it actually happened. From the very beginning, both dedicated disciples as well as critical cynics have struggled with this story of Jesus' resurrection. We can even read about this hesitation to believe in the Bible itself. Some said his disciples or soldier, the soldiers stole his body. 
You remember what Mary Magdalene's response was when she first saw the empty tomb? She came running back to Simon Peter and the other disciples and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Matthew puts the blame on the chief priests for the popularity of this stolen body theory. He says in chapter 28 that the chief priests gave the soldiers a large sum of money to say that the disciples came during the night and stole Christ's body while they were asleep. And then Matthew adds, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. To some people, the stolen body theory was quite credible. Others contend that he was not really dead when he was laid in the tomb. He, would, he had merely swooned or, or fainted on the cross, and he only seemed to be dead. I heard about one lady who wrote into a question and answer forum and said, Dear sirs, our pastor said that Jesus just swooned on the cross and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Signed, bewildered. Someone on the forum wrote back and said, Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens to him. Sincerely, Charles. It seems that for some people, the resurrection is simply good, too good to be true. There must be some kind of a logical explanation, anything but a resurrection. And yet it is true. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he's alive today. And how can I say that with such confidence? Well, let me, let me give you three good reasons that I believe the Easter story is true today. First of all, I believe the Easter story is true because those who experienced his resurrection are such credible witnesses. <clears throat> Don't take my word for it. Go back and read the record for yourself. That's what attorney and journalist Lee Strobel did. For a while, Strobel says that he was too intellectual to accept the resurrection of Jesus as an established fact. In his book titled, God's Outrageous Claims, he wrote, I used to consider the resurrection to be a laughable fairy tale. After all, Yale Law School had trained me to be coldly rational, and my years of sniffing out the news for the Chicago Tribune had only toughened my naturally cynical personality. But intrigued by the changes in my wife after she became a Christian, I spent nearly two years systematically using my journalistic and legal experience to study the evidence for the resurrection and the credibility of Jesus' claim to be God. And I emerged totally convinced and gave my life to Christ. My friends, I would challenge you if you have any doubts at all about the historical record of the resurrection, to go back and read the story for yourself. This story does not read like something that was made up. It's too chaotic. It's too chaotic for that. I mean, think about it. Notice the initial reaction of the disciples to the resurrection. They didn't believe it either. Mark tells us that when Mary and the other women told the disciples that they had seen the risen Lord, 
even they did not believe it. Luke is more blunt about it. He says the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense, an idle tale. Even after, even after the risen Christ had made himself known to many witnesses, Thomas, one of Christ's most sincere disciples, would not believe that it was true. He had to see it for himself. And even when Jesus made his final appearance to the disciples up on the mountain where Christ gave them the great commission, Matthew adds these incredible words. He says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There they were, right in Christ's presence, right in front of him. But still, some doubted. So you see, this is not propaganda. This is not a story that was fabricated in order to deceive us. No one tried to iron out all the wrinkles in order to convince us. This is a jumbled testimony of actual witnesses to the most amazing event in all of history. And these witnesses to Christ's resurrection recorded their testimony with all of their doubts and all of the accusations of their enemies intact. And that's the first reason I believe that the resurrection is true. Because those who experience the resurrection are such credible witnesses. But the second reason I believe it's true is because of how the resurrection affected their lives. Folks, these disciples were absolutely transformed after they experienced the resurrection. After they experienced the resurrection of Jesus, they moved from a posture of doubt and fear to become dynamic and strong witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. I mean, think about it. Before Jesus was crucified, Simon Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. And yet, and yet just a few weeks later, on the day of Pentecost, Peter told the story of Christ's resurrection and his death with such conviction and such power that 3,000 people became believers. How do you explain such a dramatic change in a person's demeanor? It's incredible. But even more impressively, none of those who claim to have met Jesus after his resurrection ever recanted their claim. They were arrested. They were persecuted. They were tortured. And most of them were even martyred. And right to the very end, they stayed true to their testimony. He is alive. How many of you would die for a lie? Father Basil Pennington tells of an encounter he once had with a, a teacher of Zen. Pennington was at a retreat, and as a part of this retreat, each person met privately with this Zen teacher, and Pennington said that at his meeting, the, the Zen teacher sat there smiling from ear to ear, just kind of rocking gleefully back, back and forth. And finally, the teacher said, I like Christianity. 
But I would not like Christianity without the resurrection. I want to see your resurrection. Pennington notes that with his directness, the teacher was saying what everyone else implicitly says to Christians. You are a Christian. You are risen with Christ. So show me what that means in your life. And folks, that is how people know if the resurrection is true or not. How does it affect our own lives? How does it affect how we live our lives? The amazing thing is that every one of Jesus' disciples passed that test. Their lives were dramatically turned upside down by their encounter with Jesus. How would you ever make something like this up and stick to it, even when the stones were pounding your flesh as they did Stephen, the first Christian martyr? or as you were being crucified like Simon Peter, upside down. It was hard to dispute the testimony of someone who is so convinced of what they had experienced that they're willing to suffer and to die in order order to tell their story. A day after the terrible tragedy at Columbine High School, CNN journalist Larry King did an interview with a teenage girl named Mickey Kane who had witnessed this massacre. As you can imagine, after something like that, Mickey was having a hard time maintaining her composure and, and, and uh, she was only able to blurt out a few, a few small words before lapsing into uncontrollable sobbing. Larry was very patient with her and gave her plenty of time to regain her composure. And then Mickey recounted what she had seen. She said, let me tell you about my friend Cassie. Cassie was amazing. She completely stood up for God when the killers asked her if there was anyone in the classroom who had faith in Christ. She spoke up and said that she did. And they shot her for it. You know, a testimony such as Cassie's makes our witness look pretty pathetic, doesn't it? But the critical question is, would you make such a sacrifice for something that you knew was patently untrue? Of course not. And neither would those early disciples. Don't take my word for it. Read the record for yourself. These were not wild-eyed fanatics. These were sensible men and women. But something dramatic had happened in their life, something so dramatic, something so extraordinary that it could not be denied. They had met Jesus Christ after he had died on the cross and then came back to life. And they would not testify otherwise, even while being tortured. So the witnesses were credible. The change in their lives was dramatic. But the third reason I believe the resurrection is true is this. Without the resurrection, the presence of suffering in our world simply cannot be explained. You and I have probably wrestled with this problem many times in our lives. How can a loving God place us in a world that has so much suffering and 
and my heart, I can only accept one real explanation. And that is that it's because the only way we can grow spiritually is by struggling with our faith. If it's too easy for us, for a person who never confronts pain and suffering, it will always, that person will always remain a spiritual infant. But we want to grow in our faith. We want to be like Jesus. And we're able to do that by struggling with our own doubts and our own suffering so that we might be fit to dwell with Him in eternity. Consider the fact of aging. That which is physical gradually drops away. Our muscles atrophy, our flesh withers, energy declines, and the body is simply not capable of doing what it used to be able to do. You may recall many years ago when fitness legend Jack LaLanne celebrated his 70th birthday by towing 70 boats containing 70 people for a mile across Long Beach Harbor. You remember that? Amazing. Can you imagine that? Amazing. But wait a minute. He did it by holding the rope in his teeth. Why? Because he was handcuffed and wearing leg shackles. Unbelievable. 70 years old. Now at last report, Jack LaLanne was still going strong up, in his, up into his 90s now. But friends, let me tell you something. One day... Even Jack LaLanne's body will give out on him. And only one thing will remain. And that is his spirit. And the point is that this world is not our final destination. It is a prelude to a much grander place. And that's why Paul could say that we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Did you hear that? This world and all of the sufferings that we face here in this world, all the trials that we have, all the, the doubts that we deal with, all of this is preparing us for the world to come with Jesus. So you see, the resurrection is true. True for Jesus and true for us. Christ is alive. The evidence is overwhelming. Christ rose from the dead. He is alive and he's available to us right here and right now. Ran across a beautiful little story that I'd like to conclude with. It's about a woman named Rosemary who works in the Alzheimer's unit of a um, nursing home. And it seems that Rosemary and one of her colleagues brought all of the residents of the nursing home of the Alzheimer's unit to, uh, together on one good Friday to watch Franco Zeffirelli's movie, Jesus of Nazareth. They wondered whether <clears throat> these elderly Alzheimer's patients would even know what was going on, but they thought it was worth the effort. And, but then when they finally got everyone in position, they started the video. And Rosemary was pleasantly surprised at the quiet attention being paid on the screen. Finally, the scene came where Mary Magdalene comes upon the, the empty tomb and sees Jesus' body is not there. 
And an unknown man, and in reality the risen Christ, asks Mary why she is looking for the living among the dead. And Mary runs as fast as she can back to the disciples and tells Peter and the others, He's alive. I saw him, I tell you, he's alive. But then the doubt in their eyes causes Mary to pull back. And she says, you don't believe me. You don't believe me. And from somewhere in the crowd of those Alzheimer's patients came the clear and resolute voice of Esther, one of the patients there who said, we believe you. We believe you. Well, Esther, I believe her too. I believe her too. The evidence is overwhelming, and if we really think about it, life doesn't make a whole lot of sense without it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so if you believe that, then we should live our lives in such a way that the world can see our resurrection and also believe. Jesus Christ is risen today. He is risen indeed. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond in whatever way is appropriate for you today to um, the working of God's Spirit in your life. We're going to sing a song, uh, number 160, Low in the Grave He Lay. And as we sing this song, we're going to give you that opportunity to respond. There may be someone who has not, never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before in your life, and perhaps the, the story of Easter has touched you, touched you in some way, in such a, such a way that you believe that Jesus Christ really did rise from the grave. Maybe you've never believed that before, but it's, come, it's become real to you. And you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. We invite you to come. We invite you to come to proclaim that to everyone here and to make that commitment to our Lord. There may be someone who is looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to come and unite with our church. We are a church who truly seeks to be the presence of Christ in this world. Uh, we are not always perfect about it, but we strive to be as Christ-like as we can be, showing the love of God to each other and to the world that we, that we come in contact with each day. We would love to have you as a part of this fellowship of faith. Or maybe you just need to come and, and have a time of prayer. Maybe there's something going on in your, in your life and you just need to come and, and to pray by yourself. Or if you'd like for me to pray with you, that would be fine too. If God's dealing in your heart in any way today, and you, if you would like to respond to God's prompting in your spirit, we invite you to come as we sing 160, Low in the Grave He Lay. Would you come?
victory and our hope has been realized. Our faith has been confirmed. Our strength has been renewed. And so as we go from here, may the victory of the risen Savior Savior go with us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your faith. That by the power of God's Holy Spirit, may your whole life be radiant with hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. Amen.